At the beginning of time, aliens came to the Earth to create the ultimate organic weapon. They created mankind. By planting a special gene into man, they created the Zoonoids, humans who can change at will into super monster soldiers. Eons later, the Zoonoid leader, called the Zoolord, has awakened and formed the Kronos Corporation to further develop the Zoonoid technology for world domination. Among the alien remains was found the unit, a bio-boosted alien armor. Worn by the aliens, it serves as an ordinary shield. If the wearer is human, it increases his natural powers a hundredfold. He becomes the Giver. But how to activate it remains a mystery. Dr. Tetsu Sagawa, a research scientist at Kronos, senses danger if this unit is activated by the Zoa Lord. Now the doctor has stolen it and is on the run. Shamba people, and welcome to our 133rd episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast. We discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and with me today are two great guest co-hosts joining me on one side, Mr. Devin Smith. Hey, Devin, how are you today? I'm fantastic, and I'm glad that I'm back here. Oh, we're very, very happy to have you back as always. And on the other, Mr. Kelly Pippin. Hey, Kelly, how's life treating you? Nick, so far so good. How about yourself? I can't complain, can't complain. You know, it's uh, a Saturday as we record this. Uh, other than Italy being kicked out of the World Cup for the second consecutive time in a row, Canada made it. Come on! But uh, Italy did not. So uh, we're going to be sitting on the sidelines while the rest of the teams will be playing in Qatar this um this time around so i guess we'll see how that goes but no nah, sports woes aside uh, definitely very happy to be talking to both of you today because today yes because today we are discussing the giver from 91 directed co-directed actually we have two directors this time on one side screaming mad george you have to love that name who only directed this movie as he's more of a special effects guy another steve wang who directed this and the the, the sequel and of course drive while the screenplay was by john purdy while the music was by Matthew Morse. We don't have the returns for this film, but what I can say is putting it in today's money, it cost $6 million. And judging by uh, critics and what have you, this movie did not go down particularly well, but it did uh, create enough buzz to warrant a sequel. But starting with this first one, uh, actually, Devin, starting with you, what are your general impressions on this film? And were you familiar with the manga from which it was inspired? Um, I am familiar with, with the manga. Um, I, I have to be honest. I, well, the first time I came across it, I thought it was really, you know, out there, like the idea of everything. Um, but it kind of caught my interest. And that was when I really started kind of reading it a little bit more. And um, as time went on, I, I became kind of more of a fan of, of that. Um, I have my own opinions, obviously, of this movie, but... You know, um, but the manga, no, I don't have any problems with that. Mm. And uh, and when it came to the, the this version of the film, were you happy with it? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. 100% no. No, no, no. Yeah, I I would honestly, Nick, um, if, if I ever become rich and famous as a musician or anything, I'm going to redo this movie. <laughs> oh, okay. 
<laughs> well, I'm definitely looking forward then to the Devin Smith version. Heck, you know, maybe hopefully Happiness and Darkness will still be going then and we'll be able to actually discuss it with you. Or, of course, we'll be happy yeah. to revisit your version, you know, if you get to, 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 yeah. to direct a new version for sure. <laughs> and uh, Kelly, um, I guess, yeah, same thing when it comes to you. What are your general thoughts on this? Is As you um, suggested, we cover this one. And uh, had you read the manga at all? Yeah, I had. So... I was a, a young man when this first all the manga came out when I was still, you know, a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw this movie when I was still in the military, you know, all that stuff. So this movie came out around that time. And, um, you know, being a young guy, there wasn't a lot of movies like this out there. So it caught my attention. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's the world's it's, you know, it's not going to win an Oscar anytime tomorrow. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, it had a lot of decent actors in it. So, you know, it's just one of those things where I was like, you know, it is what it is, but, you know, they weren't really bringing, you know, other than Batman, bringing <laughs> comic book characters to life at that time was very difficult. And um, I got to give them a little kudos for their camera work in this one um, because of the way that the transformations worked in this movie and things like that. There was a lot of good work that was done behind the scenes to make it look a lot better than it. You know, some of the other things We're definitely not talking a Swamp Thing caliber kind of movie here. We're, you know, and it is a comedy. It's it's not. It was never meant to be. You know, this was a tongue in cheek kind of thing because it was not. I, I don't think this movie was ever meant to be anything more than a B. You know, B superhero flick. But I mean, you know, back in the day, it amazed. You know, I even think it was. You know, better than the CGI and Spawn. The, at least the comedy. <laughs> so you know, um, but you know, just you know, just an overall generality of the movie i mean yeah it's not the greatest thing that ever hit the hit the planet but i gotta be honest you know for its time you know it it kind of took steps that other people weren't going to take so i thought it was kind of cool you know what i agree with you because obviously coming off our latest uh, review of nick fury agent of shield i thought to myself mm. i'm sure the next movie will be better and yes it is better because while i think to make a brief comparison between those two of course one's a tv movie but other than that I think Nick Fury was obviously trying to take itself seriously. They were literally like, this is a, you know, man of action, Nick Fury, we're giving you this TV movie with the Hoff and everything else. And so they failed miserably because of the fact that I think they had it been more of a parody or more of a comedic like this, it probably would have been more successful because you're like, Oh, I get the over the top villains. I get over the, the over the top heroes. And that's exactly it. If you're hoping to watch, um, an adaptation, direct adaptation of the manga, you're going to be severely disappointed, I think, because obviously the tone is much darker in the manga. It's a lot more serious, if you will. Here, I think I definitely agree with you, Kelly. I think here it's more of a parody slash comedic take on on the whole concept of Guyver and, and everything else that surrounds it, seeing also the kind of actors we have in this. Um, aside possibly from Mark Hamill, but he is also known, I think, somewhat for his comedic timing and other things. But other than that, I I think the the, the I have to hand it like you were saying to the um, the creatures. I think were very well done for the time. I very much enjoyed the transformations. I thought those were good. There were some directorial choices which made me think of this more as a TV movie than an actual theatrical right. one because 
the transitions really got on my nerves. That whole bitty bitty bee where you have the whole thing closing. I'm like, yeah. why are they doing this? It that that you know you made the point of Swamp Thing. It reminded me of some of the things they did with the Swamp Thing film when they did those transitions from one scene to another, and that got on my nerves a little bit. And the music I thought sometimes was not particularly on point in certain places. But other than that, it was a fun ride for what it was for what it's worth. Because uh, like I said, if you if you put yourself in the right mind set to watch you're like okay you have to bear in mind this is not a serious film it's it's one of those kind of fun b-movie kind of situations and for that i yeah. enjoyed it but um i just wasn't happy with uh with the with the um like i said with the transitions from one scene to another and uh, the music sometimes i think was a little over the top but other than that pretty decent i should say uh, so let's deeper dive then into our movie starting with our titular character himself Mr. Jack Armstrong as Sean Barker, the Giver. So, uh, Kelly, starting with you, what did you make of our protagonist? Um, a little underdeveloped and a little <laughs> underacted, maybe. But, <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, the, the movie is a little slow at the start. I mean, they're trying to do like an origin type story. And so, you know, it takes a little time to wind this thing up. And, um, you know... <laughs> once he's in the suit i think he's he's a little more you know energetic when it comes to that stuff but he just comes off as just this really uh inept kind of fella mm -hmm. and um and not just in the movie because of the writing i think life in general in his acting there was probably a little inept but i mean this is like one of his first movies ever so it's not like you know we we're getting the A class. I mean, some of his co-stars went on to do amazing things after this, by the way. But, um, <laughs> but um, I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything else, to be honest with you. Uh, I think maybe one other thing I've seen him in. Um, you know, and Mark Hamill, I mean, he kind of tanked his career a little bit with this movie. But, um, <laughs> but, I mean, the concept, everything was there. I think a lot of it had to do with his, you know, inexperience, but you got to start somewhere, right? I mean, everybody does. And so, you know, I'm not defending his acting by any stretch of the means, but I do feel like towards the end of the movie, it gets better, you know, than it was at the beginning of it. But, um, you know, as far as the hero goes, I mean, you don't, you see him more as the Giver than you do as a human being. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of uh, one of those things, you know, that you're just kind of like, okay, well, you know, it is what it is, but it, I don't know. He, he, for what it was, B movie. I mean, a lot better than some of the other stuff I've seen. So you know, and he pulled off some of the comedic stuff really well, actually. So I mean, he made things funny that may or may not have been funny if somebody else had done them. So you know, it it, it did work. You know, to his advantage. You know, the fight scene in the alley. Um, you know, he makes you laugh there because he's just like, you know, he's like, okay, I'm going to do this, right? You know, whatever. But it, <laughs> it just kind of. You know, you just got to go, go with it. And some of the things he says, they do a repetitious thing in this movie. They say the same line, like, multiple times as a trope. And, <laughs> and um, you know, you hear it constantly. But it's always funny when it comes out of his mouth because you're not expecting it from him. But, <clears throat> but, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was, I thought he did okay. You know, it wasn't like the greatest, you know, he's not going to win an Oscar. That's for sure. But, um you know, for what it was, it was fun. So. I mean, and did you did you like the um, the costume design for the Giver? Did you do you think that was? I actually part? did like the design for the Giver. And keep in mind, back then they didn't have the technology they do now, so it's still pretty much foam. Mm -hmm. But and you see it wiggle, 
It's supposed to be very stiff, but you can see it wiggle from time to time. Um, but I mean, they stayed true to the comic with the design. I mean, there's the, you know, the, the, the manga, if, if you look at it, I mean, that looks like the Giver. There, there's no, there's absolutely no question of it whatsoever. So it was, I thought that was really um, a lot of forethought on their part. And I think partly because it was the special effects guy that directed this movie, was it not? Yep, exactly. So I, think, I think partly because he was in charge, I think there was a lot more put towards the actual physical appearance of the costumes than there were, than there was, you know, so much on the acting because I mean, I was sold on the costume. They didn't get too many stupid close-ups on it, and it seemed to work right, you know. So, and uh, yeah, a lot of times they ruin it because they try to get those real close-ups of these people, and you start to see all the little hinges and flaws in the costume and zippers and all that kind of stuff. I don't think you really got to see that here. I think they did a really good job of keeping me in frame and keeping things really balanced, and I thought it was a good-looking costume. Well said. And uh, Devin, what did you make of of Sean Barker and uh, and the Giver? Well, I mean, I I kind of see it how Kelly was saying too. Like, you know, he's not going to win an Oscar by any means, and and honestly, the suits and and some of the special effects, and you know, yeah, okay, I'll give it that for its time. But um, personality wise, just a very bland character. Like, there's not really anything there that's, that's really going to keep my interest. And when they tried to develop like a background story, it's just it's like an epic fail. It just doesn't click. And uh, it's just one of those po- points in the movie to where I kind of lost interest. And that, that's one of those times where you just take a little wine glass out. You pour yourself a <laughs> glass, you sip on it and you're and you're thinking to yourself, why am I watching this? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can blame me for that, Debbie. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And uh, and uh, did you feel the same way that Kelly did? I mean, were you uh, sold when it came to the costume? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like I said, th- this movie isn't absolutely terrible by any means, but it's not something that I want to be watching, you know, over and over again by any means. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, I, there are there are a few things in this movie that I think are, <clears throat> you know, decent that are kind of towards the you know manga. So you know, I'm you know, there's there's good points in this movie. It's just during that scene and during that point when they're trying to develop this background story, it's just like, man, this is how long are we going to take to just like spit it out here? Cause like, I'm tired of drinking wine and <laughs> I don't know, you know, it, it's just, it, like I said, there's certain movies to me where it's like, you, you got to have a good beverage with you. So <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. I mean, it, it's true. He, funnily enough, I think this was almost, even though he's supposed to be our protagonist, he was literally the least interesting character in this. Probably more interesting when he was, like you guys were both pointing out, when he's actually the Giver. Because at first, I, I mean, I get it. He's the whole thing goes around the fact of him trying to woo this girl. And that's, I guess, almost our central part of the story. And when he actually shows up at the beginning, at first I saw Mark Hamill walking. I'm like, oh, I can see he's going to become the guy, but because he's a tough guy, he's got the thing going on. No, it's this random dude who's doing martial arts and is trying to impress this other chick who recently lost her dad and, and everything else. But yeah, it's true. He's very, very flat. 
but at the same time, I thought was what was kind of neat was that when he does become the guy, but he doesn't immediately become like super powered or is or knows what he's doing when he's coming to fighting because he's a decent fighter, but you can clearly tell that he's kind of repeating pretty much what he's learned in martial arts school. So I suppose yeah. from my from what I gather, at least when it comes to laws of the, the movie, even if you do have the Giver suit, you don't automatically inherit powers or super strength, or you're an accomplished fighter immediately. Whoever wears the suit, yep. if you're a, a rubbish fighter, you're going to be a rubbish guyver, I suppose. So yeah. I thought that was kind of neat because you could see the guy had no idea what he was doing. It was just like, okay, I'll do a couple of flips here. I'll do a couple of kicks here. But other than that, he it's obviously he's learning. So I, I like the concept that he's trying to find his feet on what it means to be the guy and what it means to be the hero. And he's not too sure of it himself at first, because obviously he does not know what this suit does. He doesn't know that it can bring you back to life or you can sort of dissipate and come back. So it's a whole new world for Sean. But but it's true. I, I, I was not particularly uh, pleased with what Jack Armstrong bought. No support. No surprise. He was not brought back for the sequel. So I guess people yeah. weren't. I guess the, the filmmakers weren't too uh, pleased with the end result either. But aside from and what I thought, what kind of did make me laugh was aside from the random kind of fights we get. The, the staple move is the same move that Swamp Thing has. Pick up a guy and toss him. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess in the 90s, that's how you fought, kids. You picked up somebody and you just tossed them somewhere in hopes that they would not get back up. So I, 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 it kind of made me chuckle because like, okay, there's that trope again. But yeah, well, no, I thought that I liked the suit. I, I kind of dug it. I thought it was, it was well done for the time. I, being a big fan of practical effects, so obviously being a big fan of Jim Henson and, and all that stuff, I really dug this because uh, CGI can be a great thing, but sometimes you just have so much of it, it almost takes you out of the movie. And so I'm, I'm, right, I, I'm yeah. kind of a sucker for this old school kind of thing. So costume-wise, yeah, so, because of course Screaming Mad George is a special effects guy. And, and so you could tell Great Painsting was made into the costumes, but I do think it was sacrificed for story. I think that was a big problem is, oh, yeah, we're going to do all these great effects and great monsters and stuff. But the story is going to be a little bit meh because we're doing a comedy. So who cares at the end of the day? OK, so let's get to Jack's significant other. We have Vivian Wu as Mizuki Sagawa, who we actually met on this podcast in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. So, Devin, starting with you, what did you make of Mizuki? Well, I, I didn't think she was <clears throat> terribly, you know, boring by any means. I mean, I, again, she's kind of just there as like the love interest. And I feel like that might have just been like one of her very first films. And so she, you know, was just kind of brushing up on acting skills and beginning stuff. Um, and I don't think I don't even think that she did that bad, honestly, in Teenage Mutant Turtles 3. I mean, mm -hmm. but. You know, I, I have mixed feelings. You know, I, I think she's just starting out and she's just trying to, you know, get her feet wet. And so I think that she did a fairly decent job in this film. And when it comes, you know, to the whole love interest thing, did you buy the chemistry between uh, Mizuki and, uh, and, and Sean? Oh, absolutely not. No, it's, <laughs> it's definitely it is definitely forced. One hundred percent. Yes. Okay, well, very succinct there. And Kelly, what did you make of this character? So, I mean, this girl went on to star in movies like The Last Emperor and a mm -hmm. whole bunch of other really good films. And um, 
you know, in this one, I think she's getting her feet wet, um, like Devin said. But um, <clears throat> to me, she was pretty convincing on most of the stuff that she was doing. There were a couple times, you know, when her father died, the emotion was a little underwhelming. You know? Oh, no, father, you have died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> her face, make it look like tears. But, you know, I, I just, you know, there's a lot of parts of it that were, you know, obviously, you know, they're trying to make a movie. Probably half of these guys had no idea what they were doing. And then, you know, <coughs> she comes in and she was, you know, again, her stuff got better towards the end of the movie. I mean, there's the running joke of I'm just doing my job. Um, that's that that line is in everybody utters that line at least once in this movie, I guess. But um, <coughs> but, uh, you know, she to me, she was convincing enough. I think the the. I think the relationship would have been more convincing had she had a stronger male lead um, because I think she showed genuine kind of like tried to show genuine feeling towards the situation. And I think he just come off as a little campy and not, yeah, he's trying to get the girl, but it doesn't seem like he's as serious as about it as she is, you know, that kind of thing. And he's really quick to just like dip out and uh, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, What's her name comes over to her apartment and, you know, she's like, oh, I'll just go get something to eat and I'll come back. And then by the time he gets back, she's been kidnapped. But, you know, um, he's, of course, it's, you know, it's just kind of like, OK, well, you dude, your timing's impeccable. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think she did a fairly decent job. And I mean, you work with what you got and she was trying to do what, you know, do with what she had. And obviously she wasn't one of the creatures and, you know, all this other stuff. So we see her all the time. and. I mean, she was pretty convincing to me, you know, as far as her role, the relationship part. Yeah, it could have been better. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I enjoyed her performance in it. It wasn't like it was absolutely terrible. So. And I mean, how long did it take him to get food? Because what I thought was really weird, if I remember correctly, he leaves and it's bright daylight. He comes back. It's evening. So I'm like, how long did it take you to get food? Where the heck did you go to get food, man? Because well, and we, we didn't get the idea that it was even close to sunset when he yeah. was there first time. It was really bright. And then when he leaves and he comes yeah. back, it's dark. And it's just kind of like um, they paid no attention to lighting, I don't think, at that point. I think that's kind of on them. But yeah. <laughs> it made me but, chuckle yeah but but um but isn't that kind of the same situation with with other jim henson films too like with like the dark crystal and like the labyrinth and films like that sometimes like they all kind of have that yeah you know, you know, like they they all kind of have like the cheesiness you know mm-hmm. no no totally i mean and you there are of course other movies where People totally forget, I guess, when they're, they're, they're editing the film or whether they're, they're cutting it and putting it together. We're like, oh, here it's broad daylight. Here it's night. Um, oh, well, people are not going to notice, are they? So that's probably what they, what they no. think. But, but I've seen it in other movies. And in fact, one of my um, kind of running jokes that I have with one of my friends with who I often watch movies is, see, you turn around, it's day. You turn around, it's night. Isn't that crazy how time flies? So I, I yeah. guess that's, like, that, 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 that's kind of the way I, I see it. But other than that, um, I did like Mizuki for the most part. Uh, and yeah, I think she, at first, her, the acting is rather wooden and the emotion 
Kanda's not there. I mean, heck, your father died. You could be a little bit more upset about it. I mean, she she is up. She does seem upset afterwards. Obviously, when she goes to the dojo, and that's where she gets news that her father's been killed. And you somewhat see a reaction, but there are moments when either she's frightened or where she has to emote. It's very toned down. It's like, oh no, don't die, don't kill me. It's very toned down. For the film, it works. As I as I said before, it's a comedy, so I get it. You're not going to yeah. be doing those incredible performances or t- looking up at the sky and going, "No," you know, you're not going to have that. But other than that, I um. So there, there were moments where, like, come on, you can emote a little bit. You were in the Last Emperor for crying out loud, and you did a great job. But um, I get it. She's maybe a little bit green still here, so I get that as well. And I definitely think she's more involved in the whole relationship situation possibly than he is, than than Sean is, because she actually shows more interest there. And it did kind of make me chuckle, of course, that Sean jumps to uh, conclusions when he comes to her apartment and he finds Max Reed there. He's like, oh, there's somebody there. Uh, and, and so it's like, oh, she's already found somebody else. And obviously he, he, he he's convinced that... Uh, um, the Mizuki and Max have something going on, but that's obviously not the case. And what is it with that, with with, with the mirrors all over her apartment? I don't know. I mean, unless I guess she's kind of has a fetish for mirrors in various places because a mirror right there behind the door. I don't know. It seemed a bit weird to me, but um, I, I don't know. Oh that's, yeah, I thought it was too. Well, that's that's kind of a that's kind of a trope in some of these B movies. So <clears throat> there's a mirror directly across from the doorway. So when right. you look, sees Max standing behind the door. And yeah. so, you know, if you look at like some of the old B horror movies and some of the old uh, classics, and then even now they use it as a trope, like someone's hiding and there's a mirror, you know, they use it as kind of that trope. And, <laughs> and Max says, you know, what a place for a mirror. It's kind of one of those things. It's like a running gag almost. And they do in this movie, they poke fun at a lot of tropes mm-hmm. in films and other things. I mean, you know, there's the scene in the alley and I'm sure we'll get to that part here soon, but yeah, you, they're, yeah, it's, it's just it's one of those things you kind of almost half expect it like it's you know you know this is a b movie you know you're going to get some camp and you know you're going to get some stupidity and just you know whatever it's just yeah yeah you thanks yeah of course yeah it's not um matt reeves is batman of course you know it's not going to be super super serious or anything like that so it makes sense i mean heck even when we um we'll be talking about uh mc striker later on where he is considered he, they think he's the monster from the movie or, or a movie that's being shot the movie within the movie where he jumps over the wall and they're like dude you shouldn't have come i shouldn't have you should have come back later or that was too soon or stuff like that so it is very 90s humor in that sense it did remind me a bit of the the turtles films to a certain extent the early turtles films from the you know the late 80s early 90s and partly also the humor from gremlins 2 i don't know why but gremlins 2 kept coming to mind when it came to this film as much as i do enjoy that film so uh let's then get to jack's biggest ally as we have mentioned him in places mr mark hamill as cia agent max reed so kelly starting with you you mentioned him a little bit what do you think about having Luke Skywalker in a movie like this? Um, I think he should have stuck to Star Wars. Yes. Uh, he's playing a CIA agent. I mean, he tries to give a convincing performance. I'll give him that. He really, you know, pours it on in some places. Other places, not so much. Um, but, you know, it's like when he's talking to 
one of his bosses who happens to be the mayor of Detroit city in RoboCop too. Um, but you know, he's talking to his boss and his, you know, he's like, just leave it alone, just leave it alone. You know? And he's like, you know, all, you know, whatever gun ho kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> and it just, yeah, it's half a dozen, one, six of the other, you know, you're looking at this stuff and you're just going, okay. And you know, Mark Hamill tries to deliver a, convincing performance but if you've seen mark hamill in movies other than star wars you know that that may or may not be the case mark hamill's a great voice actor he's as great as luke skywalker i mean he, he kind of got pigeonholed there but and he's done great in other things since he's matured and gotten older but most of the time when you see him in the 90s late 80s 90s movies after star wars things like that they're not that good mm. Yeah, and, and as you said, this probably did not do great for his career either. So um I guess maybe he he needed the he needed the paycheck, I, I'm assuming. I, I guess. Um and, he did try to stay in his lane. I mean, he is a sci-fi kind of guy, sci-fi sure. guy. So I mean he did really um push for that kind of thing. I mean, I think it was a movie called was it Tequila Sunrise or something mm -hmm. like that? Yeah. You know, where he's after this car. Yes. Um, I remember seeing that when I was a kid and I'm like, that's Luke Skywalker. That doesn't, you know, when I was a kid, it didn't make sense. I saw it again as an adult and I was like, okay, that's a terrible movie, but whatever. Anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, he's Mark Hamill's a great guy. He's made a living off of being a fantastic voice actor and, <clears throat> and being Luke Skywalker and all that other stuff. I no bones about it. You know, you couldn't replace him as Luke, but <laughs> but uh, as far as his other roles go, I mean, they've never been that spectacular. No, not at all. And uh, Devin, I don't know if you are a Star Wars fan or not, but uh, what did you make of Mark as uh, as the CIA agent? Okay, <clears throat> I was actually making my notes while you guys were discussing. Um, okay, so I am a huge Star Wars fan, actually, and, and I, I love Mark Hamill. I think he's an incredibly talented actor. Um, but this film he did not need to do, and I don't know who convinced him, whether it was like Free McDonald's or Burger King for a year or something, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe, you know, a lifetime membership to the Playboy Mansion, I don't know either. Either one, he needed to reevaluate this situation. Um, he needs to stick to just Star Wars stuff, um, and maybe some other science fiction things that are kind of like Star Wars, but... This is a role that he did not need to do or even take. Um, and I feel like maybe this was just one of those films where he was just offered a lot of money to be in it and didn't even read the script or anything. Because um, I'm just I'm not really buying him as, as, a, as a detective in this film. Um, it, it's bland. It's not his typical, you know, character to me. And I don't know. Like, I think they should have reevaluated that role and they should have maybe cast maybe a younger actor who's you know not associated with star wars because I, I i feel for mark in so many ways for even being in this film because i can't guarantee that he was not you know teased for this role or even you know rotten tomatoes actually physically being thrown at him i don't know um but i don't yeah i would not say that this is mark's best acting ever uh i would say star wars is um and he should just stick to star wars honestly 
or continue to to voice the Joker in Batman the Animated Series, which he did, which obviously oh, is, yeah. is, of course, legendary. I mean, I guess uh, it then influenced so many other people uh, after he had uh, had lent his voice to the Joker and probably one of his best roles together with, of course, Luke Skywalker. It's curious because, as I mentioned before, he's more, I think, of a man of action than our Guyver is because he's much more energetic He's kind of all, you know, all over the place, running around, uh, doing this, doing that, trying to uncover all the plots, doing his job, obviously, as a CIA agent. But in general, just yeah. the way he carries himself, I thought to myself, yeah, this is the guy you want to give the guy armor to. I mean, unless I don't, don't know how much experience with martial arts or fighting yeah. uh, Max Reed might have, because he seems more of a guy who's like, you know, I guess as an agent, maybe you might know, know a little bit of basic fisticuffs possibly and, you know, good at handling a gun. But uh, other than that, I'm, I don't know what his fighting skills might be. But he was actually one of my my favorite characters in this, as as bad as this movie probably did or was for Mark. I think he's really trying to, to, to bring his A-game to this, or rather, he's definitely making an effort. He's not phoning it in, I don't think, because just the way he reacts to stuff and just the way he interacts with the other characters, he's very much, I think, part of, a, of what's going on. Case in point, when we get to, we slowly but surely get to our showdown with uh, our, our, our villains, he's very invested in, in, in the whole situation. And I was like, I could see this guy saving the day, even though... It is interesting that he does not for a moment suspect that one of the chaps he's working with is actually a villain. So so he doesn't particularly win prizes for, for that because, heck, you're a CIA agent. You're, you're, you're a, um, an investigator and anything else. You should kind of check up on this guy and, and, and kind of see what's going on when it comes to uh, to that situation. But he doesn't he doesn't really uh, really really worry about it and we only get that reveal ourselves he did seem a little bit shady but um i guess uh, we we also get the revelation after when um towards yep. the end of the movie so uh, so that was that was a curious one but as i said if you're a ca agent you should kind of kind of you know be uh, mindful of who you're talking to and say yeah this guy's being a little bit telling me to uh, to be careful and not do this and not do that he does seem like he's protesting a lot. Maybe there's something, maybe he's in on the whole thing. So that did seem like a bit of a plot hole there. But, uh, but other than that, uh, I, guess, I guess Mark did what he could with this, with this role and did his best, I suppose. So let's get to the dark side of the table, gentlemen. By st starting by looking at our three main hired guns, if you will, hired goons. We have, of course, Jimmy Walker as MC Striker. Peter Spellos as Ramsey and Spice William Cros Williams Crosby as Weber. So, uh, Devin, starting with you, what did you make of this trio? Well, honestly, I I feel like they're kind of like the comedy in this film because, you know, they're these typical goons, you know, like to me, like, it's like you're just hiring random comedic actors and putting them in these roles um and to me like that's about the only interesting part in that part of developing the the villains is obviously i don't think too many of these actors had a lot of experience and so they were just kind of you know going with the flow and i don't feel like they did a terrible job um there's some cheesiness that i don't really care for but um 
overall, I don't feel like they did a terrible job as, as villains in this film. Um, you know, it, it kept my interest a little bit. And I and I have to ask, you know, you being a uh, a hip hop artist yourself, what did you make of MC Striker as a rap artist? Oh, that was absolutely horrible and horrendous. <laughs> um, I honestly, that was like nails on a chalkboard to me. I was like, okay, like if I had a time machine, I would just transport myself to the set of this film, and I would audition myself for music <laughs> for this film. Because I feel like I could do a lot better job than he ever could do, um, and like, and I'm not saying that like I'm perfect by any means, but I'm just saying like hearing something that horrible, and it, to me it's just like okay, wow, really that was put on a film. It's like man, this is just really really bad. Like the, like there's good '90s hip hop, and then there's just horrendous stuff where it, like bleeds your eardrums, and you're just like man, I can't listen to this anymore. Um, and, and that song, I'm sorry, you know, is, is in that category. He's, he did, he needs to just stay away from rap music entirely. That is just absolutely horrible. And, uh, and also when it came to the transformation of these three characters, did you like them in monster form? Um, honestly, I, I think yes, because the, the, the creepiness, the, the, the grossness, I'll just say that, is way out there. Like, to me, it's like Beetlejuice level, like special effects. Mm -hmm. So, to me, like, I'm fine with that. Um, and, <clears throat> like, that's another part of the movie to me that kind of keeps your interest, too. Like, because you're, you're, all of a sudden, you just turn your head and then, bam, it's just there right in front of you. And that, that I, that I appreciate and that I, that I like. Um, so yeah, I, I would say yeah. I, I I enjoyed it. Great stuff, great stuff. And uh, Kelly, what did you make of this trio? Well, I mean, you know, when you're talking about MC, there, you're you're coming off of a guy that had success on TV in good times and <clears throat> you know things like that. But you've got, you know, your rapping gremlin basically. Yes. The Russian elephant, and you know, you got the hairy owl chick, you know, things like that. Um, and then. You know, you just it. You know, Run DMC, Sir Mix-a-Lot's coming out with stuff like Buttermilk Biscuits and Square Dance Rap, and you know, they're you know, Beastie Boys are hitting it with you know, Fight for Your Right to Party, things like that. So I think they were just playing off of what was coming out at the time, and <clears throat> just I mean, yes, it's idiotic. I mean, most of the stuff he's yeah, and he he does it at some of the most inopportune times, which makes it funny, and you know, he jumps over the wall in the alley when he's chasing. You know, he's chasing everybody and he's scared of the chick that's screaming and, you know, the directors, you know, the fact that they're they're jumping into a movie set and it's a whole it, the whole trope, everything about it was just it was funny. I mean, let's I mean, it just they made <clears throat> one of the costumes were really good on those particular on the main characters. They were really good. I think on some of the secondaries, they didn't do as much, but like for the most part. You know, when the two CIA agents change and they come into the room, I hope we're not late. I'm thinking, you know, they're going in to help Max and they change into these <coughs> monsters. But again, I think the camera work and the way that they did the transformations, especially in the beginning of the movie, um, they showed the transformation of the two fighting in the in the water there. Mm -hmm. um, that was cool. And then the rest of the time, 
they used angles to make the transformations quicker and, and less noticeable. And it wasn't like they were trying to do like 80s television manimal type stuff where it was like piece by piece and things like they really did a, a pretty decent job of, I think, you know, the clothes blowing off of them that made it feel more, you know, they're growing and the things like that. And then, you know, they turn the corner, you see the clothes blow out one side and the monster pops out the other. I just think they did a lot of good work on that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> I think each character kind of fit the personality really well. And they just, I, they just did a really good job. The inept lackeys. I mean, how can you get any better than that? And, you know, and again, the phrase, I'm just doing my job. That's, you know, so I just think it was really put together pretty well as far as, you know, you got to have a good villain. Um, and in this case, villains, zoonoids. So, I mean, you know, yeah, I think I just I feel like, you know, the development of those guys was even better than the main character, to be honest with you. So, yeah, for sure. And these, I think, very much do um, follow that that trope of the inept uh, hired goons. They once again, uh, speaking of uh, the the, the uh, Turtles movies from you know, roughly this period, they're very similar to those. I think especially the ones we find in Secret of the Ooze where you have these very sort of inept creatures who are, and, and they do nothing but give Shredder uh, grief because they just they just don't know what they're doing because obviously they're, they're, they're babies in that case. Here, it's kind of very similar because I find that uh, between Liska literally is herding wildcats here. And granted, he does have probably something going on with Weber and we get that kind of moment where they're in the the, tr the getaway van and, and he's like promising to take her here, there and everywhere. And, yeah. And I thought it was kind of funny and kind of fun that, uh, you know, within this group, you actually do have a, a, a couple there in the, in, the, in the cases I mentioned of Liska and Weber. And yeah, MC Striker and, and Ramsey are fun. They, I, they're very much the bebop and rock steady of the, of the movie because, you know, they, they, don't know, they don't really have much of a clue of what they're doing. They're very much, um, you know, muscle. And so when it comes to getting uh, doing other things right, they just totally blow it. When like they they murder people and then like, oh, we shouldn't have killed her and and all this kind of thing. So I I found them entertaining. Yes, MC Strikers rhymes are terrible. They are very much nails on a chalkboard. But I suppose it works possibly to the strength of the movie in the sense that that's the story you're telling. Because one, they it's incredibly inopportune, like you were saying, Kelly. And second, it's like. Maybe maybe MC Striker, because he gives himself the title MC, maybe that, that's his dream job. That's what he probably wants to be and leave the life of crime and become a successful rapper, but it's just not working out for him. So he, yeah. I guess he has to get the money somehow, so he's joined joined these crooks. But, so, but yeah, and also uh, shout out to, to Peter Spellos, who uh, I, you know, I've, been, I've been talking on and off with and who should be making an appearance on Gold Standard. So I'm looking forward to having him on. He was, he was good fun. He, he reminded me a little bit also of a proto-tracksuit mafia guy from Hawkeye. I thought it was fantastic. He, all he had to do was say, bro, and it would have been perfect. Because like, this guy should join the tracksuit mafia. He would be an add, added value to the tracksuit mafia. So that, that made me chuckle. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's, I guess, move on then to our next and only surviving main villain, along with Stryker, because fine enough, everybody dies except Stryker. By the time all is said and done, of course, we have a Willard E. Pugh as Colonel Castle. 
who has been in tons of movies from The Color Purple to Air Force One to Robocop 2, as you were mentioning, Kelly, and much, much more. So um, when it actually came to um, to this guy, Kelly, since you brought him up, uh, what, what, what were your thoughts on, on Colonel Castle? Um, I thought they just moved him into from from RoboCop into this movie. I mean, <laughs> almost exactly the same, you know, canter and the way that he, uh, you know, <coughs> you know, I think, you know, as the mayor of Detroit City in RoboCop too, I think he's like, it's the same kind of acting that you got there. I mean, mm-hmm. and let's, let's be honest, RoboCop, um, the original and the second one, you know, these movies were never meant to like make 20 or 200 billion dollars they were made because they were fun and you know that kind of thing and you know they didn't always have the best actors in there but i mean he does he does it well i mean he's always acting shady always has shady characters always you know and you're sitting here going okay you know at first when i saw him i'm like oh gosh where did i see him before okay now i know you know and then but he's always got this half He's, he's always a, a, an on-the-fence character. You never know if he's doing a good thing or a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously in this movie, we find out later he's doing bad things. But, you know, we, um, we just, you know, you look at this stuff and you go, okay, well, you know, we're flying through here and then, bam, here he is. And I'm like, oh, gosh, okay, this, this is either going to be incredibly funny or it's going to be incredibly stupid or, <laughs> you know, because, I mean, in RoboCop 2, he's kind of the comedy relief. I mean, he's just a puppet on strings basically for the city of you know the city but it in this movie you know he's pulling the strings as far as you know the cia is concerned so <clears throat> you know totally different kind of aspect but it just yeah he pulls it off like he always does and i mean you know kudos for keeping your career alive and you know everybody's got to work and you know you can't we can't always make a masterpiece you know so you know, when you jump into these things, I mean, heck, somebody said, hey, you want to come be in a Guyver movie? I wouldn't care how campy it was. I'd go play in the Guyver movie. So, you know, what the heck? It's a paycheck. So, I mean, you know, this movie, just in general, I mean, you you look at it and, yeah, it. I mean, it wound up getting a sequel. And the sequel was even better than this one. So, you know, it's one of those things. You're kind of like, okay, they're trying to take something that they love and turn it into a movie. And this is what we got. I mean, and the guys that that portrayed some of these characters, you know, we see them other places. And, yeah, do they do a better job in other places? Sure. But in this one, he did just fine. It was, you know, it wasn't a hard role to play, I don't think. No, especially not for somebody like him who, uh, like Willard E. Pugh, who has... You know, uh, played like you rightfully said, as characters akin to this in other movies. And uh, Devin, what did you make of Colonel Castle? Well, I'm I'm kind of on the same level that Kelly is. I mean, I respect the actor. I respect his accomplishments. He was in a lot of other good films. Um, in fact, honestly, I would say his role in RoboCop Two, honestly, was probably one of his better films that he was in. Um, but I'm just, I don't know. There's something here that isn't quite up to par. Um, I feel like he could have put a little bit more effort into being like this big time villain. Um, And uh, I think it's also because he might have not had enough time to maybe prepare for this role. I don't know. Um, But I do feel like he's a good actor. It's just I wasn't feeling him in this role as a villain. This wasn't clicking to me. 
Hmm. No, no, for sure. Good, good points. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I was of course familiar with with Willard's work in other movies. I mean, I, I actually recently rewatched The Color Purple, and it's always definitely a great movie to watch. Obviously, it's a bit of a downer, but it's always a great film. Yes. And um, and of course, yeah, the the other Robocop too. Uh, being a big fan of Robocop, uh, always always enjoy watching that. Yeah, I think. To a certain extent, it might be a little bit almost that parody, once again, of that, that rivalry that you get in a lot of films between law enforcement and the military. In the sense that here you have Max Max Reed and and, uh, and and Colonel Castle butting heads to a certain extent. And that's something you get a lot in films. If it's I it's either law enforcement and uh, and the feds, or it's you know, the feds and the army. And here is, here's the, the, I think, pretty much that situation which is taken right out of so many films we've seen because obviously Colonel Castle, even though he is working for the, for the dark side of, this, of, of, uh, of, our, of our characters, it is very much that situation of, you know, I'm kind of not happy with what you're doing. You're doing this wrong. So at first, that was the impression I got. But then, of course, we realized that his motive is because of the fact that he is a, a villain at the end of the day. And I did kind of enjoy how over the top Willard did play his reactions in certain situations, especially with Max. And it's like, yeah, you don't want to be doing this. No, you don't want to be doing this. And and also he it, it did make me chuckle because I think Willard himself realized this wasn't a movie where you had to be deadpan serious, like say Air Force One, for example. So this was very yeah. much I'm going to just have fun with this character. I think that was maybe the way he approached it. And and to Kelly's point, I think this is movie a, a passion project. I think it, is, it very much comes from people who evidently grew up loving the the manga and wanted to bring it to life on screen. So this is their version. Yes, it's um, yeah. it's not going to win prizes anytime soon. It's a B movie, but yeah, it, it, it's it has its redeeming qualities. I think when it comes to uh, if you look at it the right way, I've actually gone on record sometimes and defended films like Batman and Robin, which I know are terrible. But I think if you look at it as a parody, like what Batman 66 was, you might find some redeeming qualities in it to a certain extent. So yeah. let's get to our next big bad. before we get to the main boss, if you will, we have another well-known actor, Mr. Michael Berryman as Liska. My listeners might know for movies like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The Hills Have Eyes. Of course, he was in The X-Files, Star Trek, and so much more. So, uh, Devin, starting with you, what did you make of Liska? Oh, I love it. I, I absolutely love it because one of my favorite movies is uh, The One Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Actually, that's one of my favorite Jack Nicholson movies. And uh, I've seen it over 100 times. And um, when I found out that that he was in that film, I had to watch it over and over again because, to me, I think he's really good in that movie. Um, and I feel like he does a better performance than even Mark Hamill in this film, honestly, with this role. Um, and and mostly because this is like a perfect role for him, and he does like. It's just like the cheesiness. Like to me, it's kind of like watching Jack Nicholson playing the Joker. Like it's just the perfect actor for that for that character. And so that part I really enjoyed in this film was I thought he did a great job with this character. And uh, did you enjoy also his voice work that he did when he when he transforms into should we say his uh, his monster self? 
Yes, because it's just over the top and it's it's funny, it's entertaining and and it it's just part of the the movie where it's like okay, maybe I can wake up now and pay a little bit more attention to the, what's going <laughs> on. Um it, it's like it's it's like the crash from the wine, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I feel like he's he's one of the better actors in this film. So mm-hmm. T- totally. And um, Kelly, I assume you were familiar with Michael Berryman's work. So, yeah. What did you make of him uh, or the character of Liska? Well, I mean, this is a guy that has portrayed the oddest characters in movies forever. And I mean, he's got a, a, a real disease. You know, mm-hmm. he can't sweat. He has can't grow hair, you know, things like that. And it makes him look older than he actually is. I mean, if you look at his filmography, I mean, it's it's a mile long, and it goes up into the, I think, 2020 or something, or 2012, mm-hmm. there, I forget. But, <clears throat> you know, he came to real prominence when he did do the, the One Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and The Hills Have Eyes. Those two movies kind of put him over the top, and everybody, when they needed that odd guy out, like the crazy weird ice cream man or, you know, whatever, they always bring this guy in. And, I mean he's played such iconic roles over over the years you know in some different movies and for him to come into this one and give i mean he gives one of the first scenes you've seen with the big bad guy you know he gives a convincing performance that this guy is intimidating him and you know and then he uses the same tactics you know over his goons you know when they're out in the field and it's always a it's it's fun to see him because you know, people, when we think of movie stars, you know, people want to think of people like, you know, Matt Damon and, and, uh, you know, Halle Berry and, you know, mm-hmm. all these other people and <laughs> they forget, you know, there's Danny Trejo and there's this guy and all these other people that have made a living in movies by usually playing a really bad guy or an eccentric person or, you know, things like that. These guys pull it off and they do it because of who they are. And it's just a lot of fun to watch him work in this movie because he did he brought a sense of levity and a sense of uh you know just fun and sometimes even a little bit of seriousness to you know what he was doing and he by this point in his career i mean this guy started back in the late 60s early 70s in movies and so you know this point in his career you know he's not phoning anything and he he knows that he says regardless of if it's a good movie or a bad movie i'm going to give it what i've got and then and I think that's what's kept him in so much work over the years. It's just the fact that he's unique. Um, you know, his voice is very recognizable. And then, you know, when he transforms into the monster, the monster looks like him. You know what I mean? In a certain aspect, like the stance, the posture, everything about it, it just reminds you of him and how tall he is and just how big of a guy he actually really is, even though he's pretty thin. I mean, he's still a really good big guy. So it's just, you know. I really enjoyed his performance. I thought it was pretty awesome. And his character in this just fit him so well. It just, it was really nice. And his, his costume was done. I thought his costume was done pretty. I mean, he, I think his was one of the, the better made of all of them. You know, I mean, they put a lot of thought into all these, but his just kind of took it over the top. It was really, I really liked his, his outfit. Oh, I, I definitely agree. I think it's definitely one of the better ones. And that's the thing about these, the, the, the should we say the animatronics or the, the practical effects is some of them were really creepy. I mean, I, you know, we didn't mention it too much, but um, when Max, Max gets turned into, into a, a creature, I was literally creeped out. It was a very uncanny kind of 
bad cheese nightmare image when I saw when I saw the result. Kind of remind me of some of the creepier creatures we'd seen in the Swamp Thing movies. So I was very much reminded of that when it came to to Max Reed. Anyway, yeah, Michael Berryman is a treasure because he's he just is fabulous in everything he does. And I agree with you, Kelly. I think he didn't phone it in. He very much brought. It seems like this this role was literally written for him because it fits him like a glove. The way that he 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 see he is very imposing and threatening, but he seems like he always comes is almost like cracking jokes. But when it comes to his goons, he's incredibly serious and can be incredibly intimidating to those who he has to intimidate. Case in point, when it comes to Mizuki's father at the top of the film, he is one bad dude and. But at the same time, I, I like you said, he also adds levity, especially when we see this the scenes between him and Weber, where he's kind of playing lover boy because like I'm going to take you places and I'm going to show you the world and we're going to go here, there, and everywhere. So he and you he, believe it? Yeah. I mean, when they're talking in the van, I I bought that hook, line, and sinker. I mean, come on. <laughs> it was it was very well done. Yes, because you can see that maybe he doesn't want to necessarily have to be work in crime forever and eventually be able to get away with the woman that he loves. So I, I thought that was, that was, that was kind of cool. And yeah, he makes for a great, um, should we say, uh, Lieutenant to our main villain. And that works, works perfectly because the only person he is terrified of is of course, Fulton Balkus, who of course we'll be discussing here shortly. But yeah, I, what you pointed out very, very well, very astutely there, Kelly, that he very much adopts the same tactics that Fulton does when he, the way Fulton treats him. So, uh, and I very much agree. He's like, oh yeah, that's how the boss does it. I'm going to be the same way with my guys. So, uh, so it was great. And yes, I, I definitely can't get enough of Michael Berryman. He did a fab, he's probably one of the, yeah. I, I, I was just agreeing with you. I was like, yeah, you can't get enough of the guy. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. So speaking of Fulton back, uh, Balkus, let's get to our big boss here. Mr. D uh, David Gale, of course, playing this character. And for you horror movie buffs, he was, uh, he, was he has a place in my heart for the two reanimator films. So, Kelly, were you familiar with the reanimator films? And what did you make of Fulton Balkus? Yeah, I was familiar with those films. I've seen him in quite a bit of stuff over the years, and and usually he's a horror movie kind of guy. Um, and he's done a, he's done quite a few of other things. But um, the thing is, is um, he reminds me a lot of, and you know, he's got that same air about him as like Jack Palance, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that same kind of old school kind of gangster type feel to him. Um, <clears throat> And, you know, I've watched Jack Palance in, in several different movies. I mean, you know, Batman, City Slickers, all these, you know, um, different movies. But <coughs> but um, in this particular instance, I thought him playing the big bad guy and not getting the reveal of his true form, you know, the King Zonoid or whatever, um, yeah. not getting his reveal to the end of the movie was a good call on their part because, you know, we get a taste of how powerful he is, you know, little hints here and there throughout the movie, but we don't really get to see the big bad till the end. But, um, you know, and there's true fear in the, you know, in, um, in the eyes of his underlings when they have to deal with him, because, you know, he, he really is, you know, being this bad guy. And then when he, when Mizuki's there with him, you know, you get this creepy vibe and he makes it creepy. I mean, I, the, the scene where he's touching her, I just, you know, that really kind of, I'm like, that's creepy. That's like really, really creepy. And, and the fact that she wakes up in his shirt, wearing his shirt, you wonder whether something might have happened. Right. And it just, 
And the whole time he's explaining things to her. I mean, this is a guy that was a seasoned actor. You know, he's not, again, he's not phoning it in either. He really committed to being the bad guy here. And yes, he puts on that, um, he puts on that, uh, that kind of uh, goofiness to it. I don't want to say it was like, you know, but he plays that over the top mastermind kind of well there. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the whole time, you know, we're looking at this and I mean, you know, I like the way that, you know, he comes out at the end, you know, and the, the work that they did filming the fight scene between him and the Giver, I got to give him kudos for that because of all the B movies I've seen and all the stupid, I mean, Ash versus the evil dead. Look at the freaking stop motion crap on that. I mean, come on. Um, the, the stop motion that they used here and the way that they filmed it, it actually was believable. Like it wasn't the way that they cut it and the way that they used the arms of the creature in the scenes with the full size Giver. And then they used the models when he jumps on his head. Those things were actual believable pieces of work that were, you know, to me, that was like, okay, now we're selling it. And that was one of the greatest scenes in the movie is you get to see all that stuff happen. And I just felt like, you know, that's, you know, and he sold it too as the bad guy. I mean, he really sold it as, you know, I want the, you know, he wanted the guy. And then, you know, and then he's, you know, he says, well, I am the guy for now. There's, there's no getting it back. You know, I'm, I'm the guy for you. Just, you're, you're SOL buddy. Um, so, <laughs> um, and then he makes that transformation. And I like the fact that they didn't transform him out in the open. I like the transformation that, that Max made just before the end there. Like you said, that was extremely creepy and it, it, it worked and it gave you that feel. So when they backed him into that, that darkness and you just see the red eyes and then this big creature comes out, you're sold on it because now, you know, you're like, okay, we're not going to get to see him transform, but here's the big bad guy. And I think that was a good thing on their part. I think that would have been really hard to accomplish at, in 1991 on a screen uh, to transform that guy into something that large. Um, I don't think that had been done yet really in, in too many movies. Um you know, we roll into Jurassic Park not long after this, but, you know, it's still, it's not, it's not there yet, you know, so. Um, Plus different budget, of course. Yeah, and obviously budget. I mean, nobody's handing them $20 million to make this movie, so. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, the fact that they got $6 million to make it, I would, I'm impressed. So, you know, um, the whole thing, though, is, is he sold his part. He played his part he always felt intimidating when he was on the screen, even when he wasn't actually trying to be intimidating. He gave that feeling of, I am this, you know, monster and I'm going to get my way one way or the other. And you just felt that. And I thought he gave off that incredibly creepy, intimidating vibe of a villain and it just worked. And it was great. I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. You know, Again, this movie was a little slow, so we didn't get the reveal on him till the end. But I think they made a good call on that because revealing him any sooner would have just probably not made as it, it as exciting as it was at the end of the movie. So, but yeah, great points. No, and I actually had to ask you know because you mentioned that scene with uh, with Mizuki where obviously she faints or and, and what have you, and he takes her back, and she wakes up wearing um, Fulton Bulks' shirt. 
in your head canon, do you think there might have been rape or something like that? Or he simply undressed her and put her in one of his shirts? No, I don't think so. I think because the scene before that, she was bloody from, from you know, she was covered in blood from, you know, all the other stuff. Yeah. I think they just put her in that shirt to get rid of the bloody kind of, you know, the, the outfit that was ruined during that fight or whatever. Oh, yes, when the guy had seemingly yeah. died. Right. I, I don't think that that... Uh, I don't think it was nefarious in that sense. I think it was more of a, you know, I think it was more of a, hey, her clothes are messed up. Let's put her in this kind of thing, you know, whatever. I don't, I didn't, in that particular set, I didn't feel like that. Because he's a villain, but I think he still, um, in some sense, had some kind of, you know, he's trying to rule the world. He's not trying to just take out one chick. So, I mean... Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like that he had bigger plans and that wasn't necessarily, you know, because even criminals, I mean, they don't like rapists. And they don't like pedophiles. I mean, so, you know, even people that are, you know, trying to take over the world aren't necessarily, you know, in that vein. They still have some type of moral compass. So even though he's creepy and yeah, I think he would have took it if she offered, but um, I think he'd have rather killed her instead. So. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, but yeah, because he was clearly, I think, I think, sexually attracted to her because he always he marvels at her perfection. Because like, oh, I've never seen anything so beautiful. You know, kind of like you should be my queen and rule beside me, or we should see what happens if we make you into a zoonoid. You could be a beautiful zoonoid. So um, there is something there, I think. Um, oh, yeah. And play that creepy vibe, and definitely that uh, that uh, get off me, grandpa kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It it played uh, it played uh, it played kind of I I think it it played well as far as creeping you out and I think that's what they were going for of course just I don't know it was just kind of yeah it was kind of weird it was I, I agree <laughs> and uh, and Devin what did you make of Fulton Bulkus oh he's <clears throat> he's a big weirdo in this movie honestly I'm I'm not gonna lie like to me it's kind of like having uh your own private stalker who is watching every one of your moves and maybe sneaks into your house and you know licks the shower while you're in there i don't know like he kind of comes off as that weirdo um and so i'm i think that some of the the sexual stuff um is a little too much even for my taste uh mm -hmm. And now <clears throat> his role in like reanimator and stuff, like I can tolerate that because like that's his natural type of a character that he he, he would play in a horror movie is, you know, the, the psychopath. Um, <clears throat> but I feel like he just takes this role a little too far um, for my taste. Um, and, and by no means do I think that this film should be rated any any lower than like uh, a PG-13 rating, honestly, mm -hmm. uh, just for that stuff. Because um, like I don't want like an eight or nine year old to be watching that because like that's kind of weird. Um, you know, I, I again, you know, I, I feel like he takes this character way too far, honestly, in this film. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I agree with you. I don't necessarily see it as possibly being an, an R-rated film, but I definitely think uh, parental advisory, I think it should be at least a PG, I think so, for sure, because of some of the innuendo and, and, and what have you. But yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's definitely do doesn't really have anything to possibly R-rate. I mean, even the gore is 
there is a little bit of gore here and there, but I don't think it's excessive. It's very, very campy gore. Kind of like, I guess, what you might see maybe in, in an Evil Dead movie, but it's not even that bad. I mean, aside from obviously no. when, when the Giver gets killed and then comes back, maybe some of the creatures could be a little bit disturbing. Heck, they disturbed me. I thought to myself, I'm kind of glad I'm, you know, uh, watching this sober, actually, because I thought to myself, if I watch some of the, watch this, Maybe when I've had had one too many, I, this could kind of creep me out with, for some of the creatures. And yeah, I, I totally agree with you guys when it comes to, to Fulton. David Gale, I think, does a fabulous job. He's Once again, I think he's one of the better parts of this film, playing the main villain because of how menacing he is, how creepy he is. And yeah, as the you know, Lord Head Zoonoid, if you will, he very much, uh, he very much buy that. And, uh, and the whole exchange between him and Mizuki, I felt really uncomfortable for her because just the way he wakes her up with the, oh, it just disgusts me just thinking about it. But that said, I, 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 I loved him. What I thought was curious was the fact that he seems to be a have you know either a telepath or have ESP of of some sort, some extraterrestrial powers because of that he he gets um, Liska to to hit himself and smack himself. But that never really comes up anymore in that in the, in the rest of the film because you just see him transform into his true form as you know the but head zone. Go ahead, Kelly. It did at the end. So oh, did if, you see that? When Mark Hamill was making the transformation, when Max was transforming, mm-hmm. he was forcing the transformation sooner than it should have happened. If you oh. look at the door and the third eye is open on his forehead and he's forcing that transformation at that point. Okay. Oh, no, in fact, well, thank you for that, because I was wondering, because I thought to myself, I'm sure this power will come into play again, and he doesn't use it only to torture Liska. And and I thought it might, you know, have been put into play more even when facing off against the Giver. But, you know, he's already a, a towering zoonoid in his own right, so I don't think maybe he necessarily I, needs to use... I think in the MAGA, I, yeah? I'm sure that it only works on the zoonoids. I don't think it works on the Giver. Oh, okay. So maybe the guy was immune to his uh, to his powers. Could be. Could yeah. be that. Uh, I, I'm because I read that a long, long time ago. So it's it's hard for me to remember as well. But uh, but no, I I loved him as a villain. I thought he was very he was perfect for the part. And um, yeah, you definitely fear this guy. Even like you were saying, Kelly, when he's not, you know, in a zoonoid form. Like this is a guy you have to steer clear of, and I would not like to meet in a dark alley because. The, the, I think the Jack Palance reference is a, is a very good one, especially when I think of, uh, as you mentioned, Batman, because when he's when he's playing uh, Grissom, I believe is the name of the character. He yep. has that kind of vibe of Carl Grissom where, <laughs> granted, Jack Nicholson runs rings around him. But otherwise, like, yeah, this is a guy to fear. So I wonder whether David Gale might have been channel, uh, channeling his own Jack Palance in, in this film. Loved him. But it was definitely one of the, one of the better, better parts of it. So... Uh, did you guys have any closing thoughts uh, when it came to this film? And uh, I guess you can even throw in your ratings. Kelly, did you have anything else you want to say about this movie? And what do you give this out of 10? Well, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, for its time and for what it was and for what they were trying to do, I think, you know, they pulled off some spectacular visuals in this movie. You don't get a lot of explosions. You don't get a lot of, you know, like crazy off the cuff stuff that, you know, you would see in like, Swamp Thing or these other things, you know, gosh, we got to blow up 50 cars to make it look like something cool happened or, you know, they, they used the characters. And the other thing that was pretty amazing is the choreography that they did inside of these suits at the time. 
-hmm. And these aren't light suits. I mean, we're talking about, you know, huge, heavy rubber suits and things like that. These guys, you know, for what it was, I mean, I was pretty impressed with, you know, a lot of the movement, a lot of the choreography, the camera shots, things like that. They really worked a lot of the angles really well. And I mean, granted, we get the same, you know, five or six moves out of the Giver and different things like that. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you can't do you can't do Batman style combat tactics in a, you know, huge monster costume. So you know, you're limited it, for sure. You know, but I mean, I guess I look back at it kind of nostalgically because I was a kid when this came out, I was a fan of the MAGA, you know, I was into a lot of the anime that was coming out that time, you know, like fist of the North star, things like that. And, you know, you get to see this on film and it's kind of like, you know, the first Spider-Man that was on TV was it great? No, but it was Spider-Man on TV, you know? So, I mean, you know, it's kind of, I kind of look at it like that, you know, I'll give it, you know, probably six and a half. I'm doing, I was just doing my job, um, you know, but, uh, you know, it really, it plays to the time it came out. And I mean, we had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was a huge hit. We had all this other stuff going on at the time. And so now we've got another creature film that came out and it really is. It's a creature film. I mean, when you look at it and, <laughs> it follows more of the long the lines of like a horror comedy than it does an action comedy like it says it is but still i mean I, I, you can't fault it for what it is and and use you know six million dollars to make a movie like that is is chunk change for what they dished out to do you know batman or you know you just go down the list of movies back then and you know it's there that's not a budget that's like here's a buck go to the corner store get me a movie um <laughs> You know, so I, you look at it and I don't think it had a really good theatrical release. I think it went to video pretty daggum quick. I don't even think I got to go to the theater to see it. I think I rented the VHS tape to see it. So kind of dating myself a little bit, but you know, <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. I, I enjoyed the movie and I had a, you know, it didn't kill me to watch it and I own it. I mean, I have the DVD or Blu-ray, so it's like, you know, I've had it's kind of a nostalgia thing for me, I guess, but I still enjoyed the movie. You know, am I gonna, you know, I probably watch it with my teenage kids or something because it's just fun to watch, but I wouldn't sit around and like watch it over and over again. But yeah. Well, I mean, I guess already the fact that you own have a own it on physical media definitely definitely speaks a lot for your uh, your love for this and appreciation for this film. Go, go read the original MAGA that came out, The Giver, the very first mm -hmm. one. Um, that really gives you a lot of history and backstory. This is all about aliens and aliens creating the human race and, you know, all this other stuff. And yeah, we're seeds, so to speak. And it was kind of the first, I don't know if you saw Prometheus and all these other movies. Oh yes, of course. Yeah. Know, um, it's kind of one of the first comics that used that kind of idea that we were, you know, we were seeds to create something advanced like the Zoonoids or something, which I think the Zoonoids, they're strong, but I think they're a step back from no, it's kind, but you know, they don't think so. So, you know, um, but, and then the Giver was created to protect that. So, um, I, yeah, I don't know. It, it just, it was always a fascinating concept for me and to see it on the screen, obviously, you know, I saw it at a young age and it made an impression and enough that I remember to bring it up to you. So 
<laughs> yeah, and uh, and also our our listeners uh, had actually, and I, in fact, I'd mentioned this to you when we uh, we we talked on Facebook that um, one of our listeners has actually said, you know, that they um, they'd been listening into the show and they were really hoping we'd get to do the Guyver property. So uh, here we are, folks. And so and they, they will we will definitely be discussing the sequel for sure down the line. And uh, Devin, did you have any closing thoughts on this film? And uh, what do you give it out of ten? Okay, <clears throat> now. Um... There's going to be two different examples here. There's going to be the uh, buzzed uh, wine version, which is I'm going to give that one a uh, 2.5. Okay. Um, the other one I'm going to be semi nice, and I'm going to say three. Okay. Um. So here's how I would fix this film, honestly. First and foremost, all young actors. Um, I, I want people straight out of school who want to learn and, and develop as a cat character, as an actress or actor, I would start from the ground up. That's how I would repair this entire film. Um, and, and not have the cheesiness, have it be more of like traditional manga flow to it with some darkness. That's how I would fix this film. Um, I do admire their accomplishment with trying to tell this story and try to get a fan base behind it. But I don't want to ever see anything like this for a very long time. Uh, it is in, in the in the cellar of my brain at this point. I don't want to ever see this film again. Um, so that's just how I feel about that. Um, but, you know, I would say, you know, if you're with your buddies and if you're drinking some beer and, and Friday night and you got nothing else to do, okay, there you go. Hmm. Oh, uh, very well put. And, uh, and I will say you do, to a certain extent, get your wish because uh, three years after this, so we did get to Guy the Dark Hero, which was the, the sequel. And believe you me, it is much darker. And they very much listened to, to some of the, cri the critiques and the fans who had watched this and like, yeah, we're happy you gave us the Guy, but we would have liked it more akin to the manga. And uh, in fact, uh, Dark Hero is pretty much what, uh, like the title says, it. they kind of lose the comedic elements. They look to it more, should we say, serious, if you will, of this hero battling aliens who created the human race. So it's, uh, and I think that's going to be, going to make for an in interesting conversation when we do get to Dark Hero. I'm actually going to give this also a passing grade. I'm going to give this six and a half myself as, at times, I mean, I do struggle sometimes with, over-the-top cheesy B-movies, unless it's something that I'm really, really interested in. And um, yeah. there are some that I do enjoy. Case in point, Batman 66, or, or Batman the movie, depending who you ask of when it comes to the title. But uh, for simplicity, I refer to it as Batman 66. Case in point, Batman 66. It is silly as all get out, but I, it's one of my all-time favorite campy movies when it comes to superheroes. So I would almost equate it to that in the sense that it is... That kind of humor, if you will, brought into the 90s with everything that comes with making a movie like this in the 90s with the tropes that come of it. So I don't really have a problem with it. I'll probably be watching Batman the movie more often than I watch this. But uh, I think uh, it was a good first effort. And evidently, it did generate enough buzz for them to make a sequel. So, yeah, I mean, some of the performances I very much enjoyed. I mentioned my gripes with the fact of the um, 
transitions from one scene to another, which got on my nerves no end, but that's just me. Uh, I mean, maybe back, you know, the folks who appreciate those kind of, either it's a star wipe or it's, and I know I just, I don't know why it just grates on me. But other than that, uh, and the music, uh, I, I wasn't happy with, as I mentioned before, but other than that, it's a, it's a good, it's a good B movie. It's a, it's a fun time all in all. So it's a six and a half out of 10 for me. So let's get to recommendations then. Uh, Devin, is there anything you would like folks to check out uh, that might be peripheral to this movie or that might in some way be related to The Giver? Well, honestly, I, I would say anybody who's a fan of this manga, honestly, I, I would say start playing like Splinter Cell and some of those other video games that like were developed later on that were kind of similar to, um, you know, like first person shooters. Uh, and I, I feel like they've done a good job with taking mangas and transporting them into video games. And I think that actually they should do that with this situation. But, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, just start with the manga first and really to get into the character background. And I think that you'll have more of an appreciation for this film. Hmm. Well said. And uh, Kelly, do, is there anything you would like to recommend? So there was an animated series for this manga that was absolutely amazing and it's very violent i wouldn't let my kids watch it um because it's it's very dark it's it's it is the manga you know they they took it of course you know the japanese are famous for their animation when it comes to you know animated movies i mean you look at akira and, and a lot of this other stuff some of the stuff they've done is off the charts just with animation um you know is 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 amazing and and they pay a, a very close attention to detail and all that kind of stuff and the guyver animated series is no different and it's older and there's a newer version of it too but they're um you know obviously they've rebirthed a lot of these things over and over again as as popularity wanes and then it comes back and you know all of us uh gen xers are getting nostalgic for crap we saw when we were kids and you know now they're trying to bring it all back um just as a heads up, Hollywood, all you guys out there, don't do that. Just stop. <laughs> um, yeah, you've already ruined, you know, Total Recall. You've already ruined. I can't tell you, Dukes of Hazard. Let's just, you know, you can go down the list. Stop. Just quit. Okay. Find something new to do. There's plenty of other stuff to play with. Um, but yeah, the animated series is is really a good. It's a good show. I was watching part of that last night, and um, uh, yeah, it's really just it. They did a really good job of translating it you know, into the animation and it, it, it I mean, it, you know, it's a manga, so a manga. So when you do that, you're, you're taking the, from the page to the screen. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really a good, a good thing. And it, yeah. And, and the American dub version, they, they use some really decent voice actors for, for that, you know, for the dub over. So it's not, it's not like some of these that are intolerable to listen to. Cause a lot of times I'd rather read subtitles and listen to the original language than I would the dub overs. So um <laughs> saying um but yeah they did a really good job with the with the with the uh with the actual animated series so um yeah take a look at that i think that would be somewhere i'd start so well well said and uh and i agree they have definitely improved when it comes to dubbing some of the animes that have come out i mean case in point uh, staying within this realm uh i i it makes me think of what they did with death note and the anime version of death note which is far superior to that terrible version of Death Note, which we got, which, you know, it's maybe one day down the line, we might actually end up reviewing. But uh, but no, I, I, I'm right there with you, Kenny. Netflix, I, 
the Netflix that's right the Netflix version where the uh, where the only they I mean they picked William Defoe to voice you know exactly the only saving grace in that movie is yeah. William Defoe that's pretty much it um but but no uh, the the anime is great the the Death Note anime had me glued to the screen and I loved it because of it's so much deeper and it's so much well, more well done. And and the Guyver case in point, I, I agree. The the anime is is, fab, is fantastic. But a lot of the anime, I mean, being a big fan of anime myself, you mentioned a name which is very near and dear to my heart, Kelly, which is Fist of the North Star, which is one of my favorite anime growing up. And me and I'm I'm hoping we might someday get a decent film version because that the I still sucked. Oh man, we'll just. Yeah. just just like they ruined Dragon Ball. So I guess they ruined Dragon Ball and they ruined Fist of the North Star. Excellent. Okay. Um, that, that, that's my dream. I, I, I was going to quickly say, uh, I was going to quickly say on the, uh, I'm a huge Dragon Ball Z fan. Mm -hmm. And I literally paid to unfortunately watch that horrible movie. And <laughs> um, like five of my friends and I got our money back because it was that terrible. So where we were like, we, we're going home. We want our money back. This is just awful. Like, and and I still remember that to this day. Like, there's certain films that I went to go see with friends, and we all just absolutely could not stand it. And that was one of the films that we walked out on. And um, <clears throat> the other one that that everybody was in awe about and thought was really good too was that uh, Supergirl movie. Um, which you know I don't want to get into that, but that was, uh, you know. But, I, you know, I feel like, it, yeah, I totally agree with the Dragon Ball Z thing because I grew up with, obviously, the anime series and and I, I play the video games. Like, yeah, like that film was just terrible. Yeah, I mean, I have um, literally been avoiding it like the plague because when I heard that there was a Dragon Ball uh, live action movie and I saw the posters, I said to myself, I know they're going to ruin it. So rather than have my heart ripped out, I'm not going to watch it because I... <laughs> I, I just knew yeah. it was going to be god awful, but um, but yes, when it when it comes going back to this, folks, I I definitely would would suggest you check out the Yoshiki Takaya manga from even way back from the early '80s because it's still really really good. I I, I um reread yeah. a few of the um, the first couple of volumes in the last couple of weeks and really really enjoyed it, and so I definitely would suggest you check that out. And uh, and yeah, to to what both uh, Kelly and Devin were saying, great uh, recommendations for sure. And I guess we'll be uh, we'll see how we feel when we get to uh, the Guyver Dark Hero for sure. So of course that's our movie, folks. And if you, dear listeners, if you want to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, if you'd like to take the plunge like Devin and Kelly and join us here on the show, you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. Follow us on Twitter or at High Darkness Pod, or even on Instagram under Hin Darkness. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast being generous, check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. They will be able to pick films that go outside of what are considered regular superhero movies or even films inspired by comics, like the aforementioned Death Note or Road to Perdition or I Kill Giants, or even films which inspired comics such as the Aliens franchise, the Robocop franchise, Terminator, and more. Check all that out and join our army of patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash happinessindarkness. So, uh, Kelly, starting here with you, when you're not here discussing all kinds of superhero movies, where can folks find you? Um, they can find me on Facebook um, under my professional page, Kelly Pippin. They can find me at something like Yesterday, the band. Um, 
they can find me on Reverb Nation, something like yesterday. Um, yeah, there's a lot of places. You just Google my name. There's not too many people with the name Kelly Pippin, so you're either going to find a hobbit or you're going to find me. So <laughs> should be good to go. Excellent. <laughs> and Devin, where can folks find you? Well, um, you can find me on 502 Fallen Angel Radio. Um, I am co-host of The Morning Show, and um, I might be getting my own show, actually, starting possibly next year. Sweet. Um, and uh, I'm obviously on this podcast because I love this podcast, and you guys have been very welcoming and friendly. Um, I also have my own music page, which I am permanently trying to evaluate the situation. Um, and uh, my YouTube channel is Devin Drizzle Smith, setting that up for the video vlog episodes, which will be airing this week. And um, then my music page, once that is evaluated and I can get a little bit more professional with it, I'm going to start selling my own music on there. And um, your new song is actually going to be uploaded this week. Oh, wow. Looking forward to it, Devin, for sure. So, well, folks, definitely be sure to check out uh, all the great things that Kelly and Devin get up to. And when it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I can be found hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes. Where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more info about that, visit our website, whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, of course, uh, feel free to check out our other project, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where with Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend, we're reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture in chronological order. And actually, next week, Week, we'll be taking on The Godfather Part 2, so that should be a fun discussion. Also, if you are fans of superhero TV shows, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone podcast, where we're currently discussing Superman and Lois. And of course, next week we'll be taking on Moon Knight, which we're very, very excited about. And uh, that's fa the Fandom Zone podcast. And if you are fans of Titans or Doom Patrol, you can find myself and Charles on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, where we did discuss the latest seasons of both Titans and Doom Patrol and got to hang out with some of the folks who work on the Doom Patrol TV show. And that was a great a thrill for both of us. And speed things to come on this show. Next time, we'll be heading over back into a Marvel territory, or rather Sony Marvel Universe, with the 2022 Daniel Espinosa film, Morbius. That said, of course, when it comes to you, Devin, when it comes to you, Kelly, uh, as always, thank you so much for joining me and definitely look forward to having you guys back very soon. My pleasure. Yeah, I, I would like to be a part of the, uh, the Morbius. Uh, I would definitely like to be a part of that. Oh, well, uh, well then we'll definitely, uh, definitely uh, <coughs> be sure to have you on to discuss The Living Vampire. And I believe a certain, a certain Kelly Pippin might also be returning to discuss Marvel's Living Vampire. So uh, it's going to be a fun, fun time, folks. And of course, uh, to all you listeners out there, thanks as always for this show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Morbius. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.